welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. We are ready to go. We had some brief issues, very much like the MLS referees. We had some problems this morning. Uh, so we are uh, a little bit late, but we are ready to go. We have uh, lined up two very good guests for you today. On a Monday, first Andy Edwards from Pro Soccer Talk at NBC Sports. He'll join us to talk about, well, an MLS Cup final at yesterday, uh, which we'll get into here in the news in a minute. And then Jeff Kasuf, our friend from Equalizer, Equalizer Soccer, and also from NBC Sports, will join us to talk about the controversy erupting over a friendly in Hawaii and the U.S. Women's National Team and an injury to a very popular player. We'll get into that as well. So... I hope you are ready. I hope your seatbelt is on or whatever uh, analogy we want to make about this show going fast. and being very exciting because uh, we are ready to go. Let's hit the news first. Again, the Portland Timbers winning the MLS Cup Final 2-1 over Columbus Crew SC in Columbus. The Timbers scored twice in the first seven minutes of the match and held on for the 2-1 win. That included the fastest goal in MLS Cup Final history. 27 seconds scored by Diego Valeri. Off of a pretty bad miscue by uh, goalkeeper Steve Clark of Crew SC. The second Portland goal, a wash in controversy after a replay showed the ball clearly out of bounds by about two yards. Tony Chani sort of stopped playing. Darlington Dagby took the ball from him, uh, led the Timbers down the field, and they scored the goal. Uh, Rodney Wallace from Lucas Milano. Uh, the referees also missed a clear handball on uh, the Portland Timbers that would have given uh, the Columbus crew an, uh, an opportunity as well. So, just a bad day out for the referees, but congratulations to the Portland Timbers for winning their first MLS Cup title, the first title of any kind in Portland in uh, about 40 years, uh, something like that. I uh, can't remember when the, the, the Blazers last won their title, and now, of course, the uh, Timbers uh, existed in an NASL, but uh, I don't believe ever won in an ASL title. Premier League surprises from the weekend. Stoke City plays Manchester City off the park, wins 2 nothing. Uh, to beat the, uh, to beat the citizens there. Manchester United plays to a goalless draw against West Ham. So toothless Manchester United remains toothless Manchester United. Bournemouth shocks Chelsea 1-0 at Stamford Bridge, heaping more woe on Jose Mourinho and company. Newcastle beating Liverpool 2-0 at St. James's Park. So all the good feelings around Jurgen Klopp sort of deflated by that loss, uh, to Newcastle. Arsenal downing Southampton ahead of uh, ahead of word that Santi Cazorla will miss three to four months with a knee injury. So a good result for the Gunners, but they obviously have many injury issues there with their squad right now. And Santi Cazorla, an important player to have gone for three to four months. Leicester now in first, top of the table, two points clear of second place. Arsenal City in third, United in fourth. It is uh, wacky times in the Premier League. We'll see how long that holds. U.S. Soccer. I mentioned the, uh, the, uh, the, I mentioned the controversy there. U.S. Soccer has canceled a U.S. Uh, men's, I'm sorry, the, they canceled a yes, <laughs> let me start over. It's been a weekend. U.S. Soccer canceled a friendly against Trinidad Tobago between, uh, with the U.S. Women's National Team in Hawaii set for yesterday. They canceled that game on Saturday, uh, with, uh, the issue being the playing surface there at Aloha Stadium in Hawaii. This came the day after Megan Rapino tore her ACL on a training field in Hawaii in preparation for that game. So she is obviously gone for six to nine months, and the women had um, some serious 
uh, have some serious concerns about the playing conditions and the level of equality in their treatment with U.S. soccer. We will get into that with uh, with our friend Jeff Kasouf. They issued a statement, uh, the U.S. women did, through the Players' Tribune, which is that website uh, started by um, uh, Trevor Hayward's favorite person, Derek Jeter, uh, opportunity for the players, uh, the athletes of the world, to get their voice out directly. Uh, the It's worth a read. It doesn't go in-depth into concerns that much it just sort of outlines that the field was bad they're really disappointed to uh to have to 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 let the fans down there in hawaii but of course with the conditions as they were they did not feel comfortable playing in uh more interesting news perhaps well in in, in also interesting news the fbi is said to be report uh, said to be investigating sep blatter and the potential that he was involved in 100 million dollars worth of, of bribes going back to the 90s uh, once upon a time, FIFA had a marketing company called ISL. Uh, Sub Blatter apparently was aware of, bl- of bribes being thrown around by ISL, uh, including to uh, many uh, Brazilian soccer figures. Um, so the FBI's report is, is investigating Sub Blatter's involvement in um, the authorization and, and his knowledge. This is all coming from a BBC Panorama uh, show that is set to be uh, uh, that's set to debut tonight or today, rather. Uh, U.S. time. We will see if there are any more details coming out of that. All right. Finally, Pumas and Tigres have advanced to the Liga MX Apertura final. America wins the second leg 3-1 against Pumas, but Pumas advances 4-3 on aggregate. And Tigres uh, beating Toluca 2-0 at Toluca to advance there as well. We also had the MLS Board of Governors meeting this weekend ahead of the MLS Cup final. Some interesting things out of that. We will continue. Uh, we'll talk about some of that as uh, we get on with the program today, let's go to our friend Andy Edwards from NBC Sports who will talk to us about the MLS Cup Final. Yeah, it, didn't, it wasn't two yards out of bounds, but it was a long way out of bounds. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning, and it is the day after the MLS Cup Final. 2015, won by the Portland Timbers, 2-1 over Columbus Crew SC in Columbus. Talk about that game and all of the things that that are worth discussing, including some of the controversies. Andy Edwards from Pro Soccer Talk at NBC Sports joins us now. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. I mean, that was... It was very final-like in the sense that it wasn't the best-played game. It had some, it had plenty of excitement, but it was clearly not the best either one of these teams had to offer. In the end, did we get a worldly champion in the Portland Timbers? Yeah, I, I think so, and I think it's a, a worthy champion in the sense of MLS, and that it doesn't really matter what you do for 75 or 80% of the regular season. You know, as long as you kind of figure things out in that last month or two, and then you roll into the playoffs with a little bit of momentum, um, and, and just kind of figure out that. I think for them, the, the big thing was finding the right balance in midfield. Obviously, moving Darlington Nagby back into to the center of midfield with about a month to go uh, was the thing that really spurred this team on, and, and I think led to a lot of success that they had during the playoffs. And and you have to give a lot of credit to Caleb Porter for that, a, a guy who 
uh, up until August or September, a lot of people, myself included, were saying, you know, if they don't make the playoffs this year, is is he gone? And I, I think he's gone if they don't make the playoffs. And so to to bounce back from that and go on this run that they did to to be so close to elimination in the knockout round uh, with that that penalty kick against Sporting Kansas City that hit both posts, um, they were very very close to being out. So I, I think uh, they're definitely worthy champions. Anytime you can go through. Uh, the MLS playoff gauntlet and do so having played in the knockout round as well. You know, going all the way through six games, uh, I don't think you can really discredit what anybody does. No, sure. Um, but it does, again, as you said, it, we were questioning whether or not Kenneth Porter would still have his job if they were able to make the playoffs. And that, that's sort of the, the, the fine line between failure and success in MLS. And some people will diminish the league because, oh, look, the Timbers weren't that impressive for five months or six months and then suddenly get uh you know get hot and win a title but i think it does it, it does speak to 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 the um commitment and, and and the the resolve of a guy like caleb porter and the guy and a team like the timbers yeah for sure and then you know for all the people out there that say oh well mls isn't very good because a team that uh, was was not very good during the regular season, can win your championship. or And this is one of the hotter takes that I've seen. Uh, a team with Liam Ridgewell can win an MLS <laughs> Cup. You know, MLS is the most prestigious title, so uh, I have no respect for MLS. I mean, come on, you know, that's that's completely ridiculous. You, you understand what the league is going into the season every year. You understand that the regular season, 80% of it or so, doesn't really mean a lot. It's about jockeying for position, and Portland did well to get themselves in in third so that at least they had that knockout round game and, and you know played at Providence Park and everything. So uh, they understood what the, what the field was, and, and they went about playing it, I, I think, the right way. They managed every uh, round in the playoffs, I thought, very, very well, you know, going on, playing at home in, in the first leg and then going on the road in the second. Uh, you, you really can't fault anything that they did during the playoffs. Uh, you know, so much of this uh, this playoffs uh, was marked by teams that that started fast. They came out of the gate in a game, made a statement. I mean, the, uh, Columbus did it to New York, and in this particular game, Portland did it to Columbus. It, it was um, it was twenty seven seconds. It's Diego Valeri taking advantage of Steve Clark, and and you can't account for those things necessarily. I mean, everybody on this show on Friday. Picked Columbus to win, Andy, and and I, for for good reasons, for legitimate reasons. Um, and it wasn't that it wasn't that there wasn't a chance that the Timbers could win the game, or it wasn't that the, the it was relatively even. It's just that we thought Columbus had an edge. And then twenty seven seconds in, everything gets turned on its head. How important was that goal? And I mean, you know, I'm sure Steve Clark's beating himself up and and will, but that that's a, a credit to the way Portland came out. Yeah, for sure. You know, Steve Clark didn't sleep a, a single second last night just thinking about that play over and over. You know, everybody picking Columbus, it wasn't a, a lack of respect for Portland or anything. I think it was just a healthy respect for Columbus and, and seeing what they had done uh, thus far in the playoffs. And, and it, it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's unlucky for them to have knocked out the Red Bulls essentially with a goal, like you say, you know, eight seconds into the first leg of the conference finals and then basically lose MLS Cup 27 seconds into, uh, you know, the final. Uh, it was a sucker punch, and, and you could see that they really, they didn't really recover from it, and, and they gave up another goal just six minutes later. Um, you know, Steve Clark, he he individually rebounded to, to have a nice game, but so much of, of, you know, going down a goal after 27 seconds and then two goals after seven minutes, 
it completely changed the game plan for, for Portland. You know, one of the biggest things that I was worried about going into this game was that, that Columbus was just going to have too much going forward and, and there weren't going to be enough bodies back defensively for Portland. They would eventually have to chase the game. They would stretch themselves out. You know, they would put Ridgewell and, and Nat Borchers into to bad situations where they're defending in space. And that just didn't happen. You know, when they went up two goals after seven minutes, they were able to drop Darlington Nagby deeper back into midfield. Rodney Wallace and, and Lucas Milano on the wings, they were able to drop back and, and help out Viafania and Alves Powell at, at fullback. And, and they just managed the game so, so well, I thought. You know, they didn't take any unnecessary chances. There was none of the, you know, the Portland Timbers from, from a couple years ago where uh, they would needlessly throw everybody forward and, and, and try and get another goal. They didn't do that. You know, they, they had the, uh, I, I thought it was a, a very mature performance, a professional performance from them. And, and Diego Chara was maybe the best player on the field, if not for Jorge Villafania. And, you know, we're talking about an MLS Cup final. And you, it's always guys like that that step up in that championship game yeah. and, and turn in a performance that really, uh, if it doesn't put them on the map, it elevates their status. And they're the guys that we're talking about the next day. Yeah, the, lots of uh, lots of love for Viafania today, and rightfully so. And, and a great story, a guy that uh, the original uh, MLS Sueño winner. Um, the 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 Columbus Crew situation, uh, and certainly how they responded to going down two goals in seven minutes. Um, they, they didn't quit playing at, at all, but but you could see a lack of something there. I mean, they get one back, but, but Iguain wasn't very good. Ethan Finley was, was completely non-existent in this match. That's some of that goes to a guy like Villa, Villa and the Timbers, but some of it just goes to Columbus. Those, those guys just not having a good day. For sure. And, and yesterday was your first time watching Ethan Finley and you weren't quite sure what all the hype was about. You know, don't take that, that those 60 minutes that he was on the field and think that that's the player that he is. He had an absolutely uh, fantastic regular season where, you know, if not for Kai Kamara being on his same team, he's getting tons and tons and tons of love and, and you know, a little bit of MVP consideration. But, but like I said, with the way that the game changed and, and the way that Portland were able to get numbers back defensively, that area that he likes to take up, and the same goes for Justin Miram on the other side, you know, right underneath Kai Kamara. They're not traditional wingers in, in the sense that they stay out wide and, and um, you know, look to beat guys one-on-one. They want to, you know, they want to tuck inside a little bit, get involved with everything right around the, the top of the 18-yard box, and that allows Iguain to drop a little bit deeper and find the game himself but there were just bodies everywhere defensively for Portland and, and Diego Chara, you know, he can cover every, every blade of grass uh, on the field over 90 minutes. And uh, I mean, I, I keep coming back to this, but it was managed so well by Portland defensively that, you know, those four guys up top for Columbus, maybe the best attacking quartet in, in the league. You know, you can make a serious case for them. Uh, none of them were effective. Kai Kamara had 31 touches in that game. He had one shot, and he scored with that one shot. Credit to him for that. But he just wasn't involved enough. They weren't able to give him the kind of service that he thrived on so much during the regular season. You know, Tony Chani and, and Will Trapp were uh, relatively ineffective uh, for, from deeper in midfield, whereas those guys typically are, are, are you know, uh, releasing Finley uh, and Miram down, down the wings. But again, there just wasn't that kind of space. And, and look, one of the big problems for Columbus all season was, well, what, what's plan B? You know, if you're not able to get out and run on the counterattack, how are you going to beat teams? And if 
teams sit back and, and, and pack it in defensively, there's just, they just don't have that ability to break an opponent down and they weren't good on set pieces. So pretty much anything that could go wrong in this game for Columbus, it, it did go wrong. Columbus took one shot on target and that was the goal that Kai Kamara scored. <clears throat> Otherwise, nothing. Um, you know, nine shots that, that did not trouble. Uh, Adam Kowarsi, who did not have to make a save, uh, you know, again, again, gave up a goal, but, uh, otherwise it, w- it was a really, e- a relatively easy day for him. Um, you know, let's just put a bow. I mean, you, you should not take anything away from, from Columbus's season. Um, they came up, they came up short in, in the biggest moment, but they were an excellent team, a, a team who rounded into form very much like the Timbers did throughout the, uh, the latter half of the season. Figured out a defensive balance that they didn't have previous to that, um, uh, Andy. And Greg Berhalter deserves tons of credit. I mean, you expect them to be back on this stage next year. Yeah, they'll they'll be back in the playoffs for sure. But they, I mean, it's a young team, and there's guys that you know other clubs around the world are, are, are probably going to look at and say, you know, you know, this guy's playing really well in MLS, and and see the style that they play and say that's something that we'd really love. Uh, to be able to do here, or or maybe you know we already do, and and this guy would fit in. You know, I'm thinking of guys like Waylon Francis or ha- Harrison Affle uh, at the fullbacks, two very very important guys to the way that they play. You know, the the fullback in in the game, the way that the game is going today is so important, and both of these teams were, were a perfect example of this all the way through the playoffs. And obviously, Will Trapp is is at some point we think probably going to. To move on, he'll probably be there again next year. But Ethan Finley, Justin Miram, you know, who knows who will be back and 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 how they will respond from this. Typically, you, you see the team that loses an MLS Cup, you know, come out and and start the season very very quickly because they're on the redemption tour and everything. But you can't burn yourself out too early in MLS, as as we've already talked about. Uh, but yeah, they'll they'll be back there for sure. There's way too much talent. Greg Berhalter is is way too good of a coach. You know, there's a reason that that he along with you know, maybe two or three other guys is getting, you know, there's chatter about the U.S. national team job one day. I mean, these are young uh, coaches doing their thing in MLS and, and, and having a lot of success at a, at a very early age. So uh, the, the future is still very, very bright in Columbus. It's, you know, somehow they're in an even better place this year than they were last year at the end of the playoffs when they were so unlikely uh, for so much of the season. And, the, and they kind of became the darling team through the regular season. And they, obviously they got thumped uh, by the New England Revolution there in the conference semifinals. Uh, but to go all the way to MLS Cup this year, you know, a guy like Kai Kamara sitting there on the field for 15 minutes and watching them celebrate and, and lift the cup on his field, motivation. You know, they're going to be very, very motivated in 2016. Yeah, absolutely. Other side of Portland, I mean, uh, if there's a town in this country that will appreciate the MLS Cup uh, more. I don't know what town it might be, uh, Andy, and, and I expect they'll quit, they'll have quite the reception today on their return, uh, to the Rose City. Uh, this could be, you know, this could be a, a big deal in Portland in ways it's not in other places, but beyond that, it's obviously a, uh, you know, vindication for Caleb Porter and, and sort of his, his shift, his, his mentality shift as a, as a coach in this league as he's grown. Yeah, you know, I think our friend Sean Francis put it best after the game yesterday. He said, I think Portland's the only MLS city that, that an MLS Cup might start a baby boom. You know, Portland's <laughs> getting pregnant tonight. And, and for sure, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna love this. They're going to love, obviously, being champion of the league. They're going to love that they did it before Seattle, that they did it before Vancouver, and, and that they do have Caleb Porter still there in charge. Obviously, it's the ideal situation that you don't have to fire your head coach and, and start things over. 
uh, like they had to do just three years ago when they brought him in uh, with John Spencer only lasting, what, a year and a half uh, into their expansion into the league. But this is another team, tons of young talent all over. Look at Lucas Milano coming over during, during the middle of the season in August and the impact that he was able to have in a handful of situations late during the regular season, you know, you get, you get a full season of that guy having already played in MLS, figured it out just a little bit, you know, Viafania and, and Powell at the fullbacks are, are two really young guys that have a ton of potential. Uh, you move the contract, we assume of, of Will Johnson, he's gone next season. So you've got a lot of cap space that you can play with. And then, and then but the big story, obviously it's Darlington Nagby mm-hmm. finally finding a home and a position in the center of midfield. Now, what can he do with the full season playing there, you know, going into the season with the mindset of that's where he's going to play. You know, are we about to see him finally, you know, after what, five years, is he finally making that, making the permanent step, not, not just a temporary step forward and and coming into the limelight and and really starring for this team. But is he going to make that, that, that jump in class, and, and where his career is going, I, I sure hope so. We've yeah. been waiting for it for five years, and if it is, you know, this is, it's it's an incredibly dangerous with Portland team, and I don't think you can look past them. Uh, you know, maybe for being right back where uh, they were yesterday in the MLS Cup final, just uh, you know, next season. Yeah, Darlington Nagby, by the way, twenty five years old. Okay, so and maybe this is the the leap. Maybe this is the jump, Andy. What's what I think may be interesting to watch here, and I, he seems like the kind of kid who is very happy where he is. I know he's got a young family. Um, everything seems to be going well for him in Portland. He's playing for his old college coach. It's finally clicking a little bit more. They just won a championship. There's all the reason in the world for him to stay there for a number of years. But my understanding is part of the reason he did not take opportunities to maybe look overseas is because he was waiting on that citizenship and needing the residency in the United States. Well, he's got that now. He's not necessarily tied to Portland anymore. I'm not saying he's leaving, Andy, but it's certainly worth watching whether he gets some interest. Yeah, for sure. And and I and I kind of thought before these last couple of months, um, you know, maybe that's a guy that just needs a change of scenery. As you mentioned, playing under Caleb Porter, a guy that he played for in college and and, and now three or four years in, in Portland. Like maybe everything's just a little bit too familiar. Maybe, you know, he needs a coach that sees him just a little bit differently than Caleb Porter does because he's had him so long. What he had success doing in college, um, maybe that's not going to work in MLS. Maybe that's not the best thing for his long-term prospects. And so maybe he just needs to go somewhere else and play for for a coach that's going to use him in a different way, and that will unlock that potential that, that we've been waiting to see. And then Caleb Porter kind of you know comes along with, I mean, it has to be the uh, the the tactical decision of, of the entire season uh, across the league, making that move back into the center of midfield. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited to see what happens. I, I hope he doesn't leave quite yet. I mean, 25 years old. I, I feel like he's the oldest 25 year old anywhere <laughs> that I've ever seen because we've we have been waiting for so long, and he came into the league at a relatively young age, just 19 or 20 years old. Uh, but but as we've said for for years now with him, the sky's the limit, and you know the fact that Portland has him. And now they've got an MLS Cup locked down, you know, uh, in large part uh, thanks to him. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully this is the time for Darlington Agby. Mm. Uh, you know, let's go. Let's go back to the game itself briefly here because this is something I have to mention. How, you know, it seems that the it seems like Cruesi is taking this in stride at least internally. Again, you talked about Kai Kamara, you know, uh, getting that motivation by watching the Timbers celebrate. I imagine Greg Berhalter, the type of guy I know he is. He's not necessarily going to go on a flame war against 
the referees. And yet, if you're a fan of uh, of the crew today, Andy, you have to feel pretty aggrieved at least at uh, at least a little bit because of that second goal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the ball's out of bounds. You know, I don't. I'm not sure what else there is to say about it. And and for that call to be missed by the assistant referee, who you know he's what seven or eight, maybe ten yards max uh, away from the play. And and according to replays, it looked like he was looking in that general direction from the uh, a camera on the other side of the field. You can see that there's plenty of green grass uh, between the line and the ball, and then it's crossed over. You know, it's 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 an awful awful missed call. Uh, in the biggest game of the season, and and you just hope going into a final that that it's not marked by referee and controversy. But w- when so much of the regular season is, and and you know it, a lot of like there's there's so many calls in a single game, let alone an entire season, and there's missed calls uh, in a game and an entire season, but so few of them are that big and that egregious, and for it to happen, you know, in the league's championship game. It's not a good look for MLS. It's not a good look whatsoever. Maybe, maybe it's the, the, the final straw that breaks the camel's back. And, and I know that MLS has taken referee uh, quality and, and development and everything seriously in the past. And, and they put a lot of money into it and everything. But maybe this is what really helps them ramp it up and realize, okay, we've, we've got a serious problem here. We, we essentially took a chance to, to win MLS Cup away from Columbus on one of the worst missed calls that you're likely to see in, in a big game, yeah. I, I don't know, I, ever. I just don't, I don't, and, and, I don't know what the answer is, Andy. I mean, I, I, it, yeah. you know, because, all right, so, the, so you know, people want to complain about the referees, and rightfully so, and you want them to be better. If you do something like bring in referees from abroad or from other countries because, hey, they, they, maybe they're better and we're spending a bunch of money and look at us, you know, look at us do what we need to do to fix this problem. You're then not doing the work to develop referees in this country, and eventually you're going to have to. That that's something you need to do. You need to have better referees here. So it's a it's a, it's kind of a catch twenty two right now. Absolutely, and it's not something that that we're going to fix overnight and and or during the off season and and come back in March when when 2016 starts and and magically have these amazing referees. It's not going to happen that way, obviously everything whether whether it's players or referees or, or coaching you know it's it, it all starts at, at the ground level and, and you know you have to build from there um but you know you mentioned bringing in foreign guys to referee alan kelly came over what two years ago and and ever since he's arrived as a referee i mean this is a guy with with world cup experience and, and european championship experience you know, he's probably been the best referee in in the league and and you know, that's not a bad thing you know if, if, if our, our, if our best referees, ref, soccer, you know, would, would we have better referees in this country? Uh, yeah, it, it just, <laughs> it, it sucks. It, it just sucks that that's, that's yeah. how the championship is, is kind of going to be remembered. I mean, whether you're, you're a Columbus fan or a Portland fan, that's going to stick out in your mind and you're going to remember that obviously for, for hugely different reasons. But let's also not, not, you know, lose sight of the fact that Portland were, were robbed of uh, either a goal or a penalty kick, or a penalty kick and a red card for a handball on, on Michael Parker's right on the goal line. So, you know, each team was robbed of a goal. Obviously, with Portland's coming earlier in the game, it's going to have a much, much bigger impact uh, on, on the final outcome of the game and, and, you know, the way that it changed their game plan and everything that we've already talked about. So, yeah, it sucks that, that MLS Cup was, was finished not even, you know, 16, 18 hours ago. 
and we're we're already or we're still, I guess, talking about about the rest. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, let's well, I got five minutes here left with you, and I want to move on to some other things happening uh, in MLS again. Congratulations to the Portland Timbers. Uh, regardless of the referees, they certainly played well enough to win that game, um, and, and therefore, I think this is a deserved championship. But. The league had their Board of Governors meeting on Saturday as well, Andy, and there were some details coming out of that, a release from the league that says, uh, I think the headline in, in, is, is that the league is looking to expand to 28 clubs. They, they agreed as a group that the new target is 28. We had the target of 24 for about, I don't know, five minutes, and, and now we're moving on again. Um, is this just a case of supply and demand that, that there's, there's so much interest that MLS would be remiss if they didn't chase it down? Or is this actually good for MLS to keep going higher and higher? Cause if you go to 28, you can see 32, you can see 36. Uh, it's not that far away. Yeah. I, I think the, maybe the, the better question to ask is, do we have enough talent for 28 teams? You know, cause th- there's already talk that at 20 teams, uh, the, the talent pool is stretched a, a, a little bit thin at this point, and you've got four more coming in. You know, Garber said during, during, uh, his interview halftime yesterday that by 2018, we will have those 24 teams. So I guess that's in, in inferring that, that Miami will have a stadium done by then, and they'll come in, uh, alongside Atlanta and, and, and Minnesota. And who, who's the other one I'm missing? LAFC. Right yeah, it's, it's, it's early here in Kansas City. Um, and, and so that you're going to have 24 teams by then. I mean, for me, it kind of feels like that's where, like, that's where they should stop for just a little bit. But, you know, you, you look at the way that the league has grown very quickly over the last handful of years. They have momentum. They have a ton of momentum, whether you want to admit it or not. And so, you know, I can understand wanting to keep pushing, uh, at, at a fast pace. But, you know, you talk about, like what are going to be the next cities in? I think everybody expects Sacramento. Uh, pretty much everyone expects San Antonio as well. St. Louis is is a, is a perfect world situation where you know you have an ownership group in that city and and you can bring in another Midwestern team and it creates a nice little triangle with Kansas City and Chicago and and, and it's really the the biggest major market in the country that doesn't have a team. Uh, but it, it does smack a, 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 a smell, smell a little bit of, of MLS saying, okay, well, you know, Miami's coming next. We don't have anybody else to pay us 100, 120, 140 million dollars uh, in the next few years. Where, where's our money going to come from? All right, let's, let's let's expand some more. Let's get some more of these groups to give us this kind of money. It's it's amazing that they're getting those kind of expansion fees. Uh, you know, not even what basically 10 years after we weren't completely sure that the league was was going to be around. Forever. We weren't sure that the long-term viability was going to be there, and now they're getting there. They have groups lined up to pay them 100 million, 120 million dollar expansion fees. It's a good place for MLS to be. Obviously, you, know, you just have to hope that, that that Don Garber and and all the owners currently in the league, you know, they're not trying to move too quickly, and they're not going to, uh, you know, kill the quality of the soccer being played by spreading the talent too far. Mm-hmm. You know, one easy, easy step, and and I know everybody up in Canada would agree. You know, make make Canadian players non-internationals in the league for every team. You know, it's it's a very very simple step that grows the player pool uh, hugely, and, and I think benefits the entire league. It benefits you know the Canadian Soccer Association, but you know with with MLS being so closely tied to U.S. soccer, do they want that? I, I don't know. 
Yeah, there is uh, there is some uh, some questions to be uh, to be answered in, in regards to the way they treat players. And then certainly, uh, if you go to twenty eight teams, how much how many of those roster spots are you filling with internationals? Is that good for the American player and it, and, and, the, and their development? It's a lot of questions still to be answered there. Uh, very briefly, about a minute left here, Andy. Um, uh, Robert on Twitter specifically wants to ask your opinion about the new All-Star Game policy, which is kind of the outlier in all of this news. Some of this stuff makes sense. Copa America, Centenario break, okay, no problem. We know they've been pushing for video replay. Uh, they're going to do Decision Day again, but they're going to do it everybody at once, which is is pretty cool. There's a water break thing, which I'm kind of weird, but whatever. And then this this policy. If a player is unable to play in the AT&T MLS All-Star Game, that player will be prohibited from playing in his next MLS match. In the event a player is declared medically fit for his match immediately following the All-Star game, he will be precluded from playing in such match, but will receive quote-unquote credit for playing in such match for bonuses and option triggers. I mean, this is legitimately like, it, this seems punitive and, and, and kind of petty because it, it, what they're trying to do is keep players from skipping the All-Star game. Yeah, I don't think it's as crazy as it sounds on the surface, saying if you don't play in the All-Star game, you have to miss a game. Uh, I, I think uh, Brian Rosenblatt has, has you know, pointed out that other leagues in, in American sports do this. I think what they're trying to, to prevent, obviously, is players who play in the last game before the All-Star game and then suddenly have uh, a little knock and are unable to play, don't have to go all, you know, travel to wherever the All-Star game is being held, and then they're, they're magically healthy again for the weekend. But what if a guy, say, misses the last game before the All-Star game with a legitimate injury, and during that week is when he recovers and he's able to return for that game after the All-Star game? You know, MLS, they've, they've put themselves in another situation where, you know, it, they have another subjective decision to make on a case-by-case basis. And, and, and as we know, they don't particularly do all that well with decisions like that, where they give themselves too many things to think about and, and figure out and decide. So uh, I, I think it's a little bit needless at this point. Nobody takes the All-Star game seriously. You know, it's, it's an exhibition. There's, there's nothing on the line. Uh, it's a nice chance for players to test themselves uh, against a big club from Europe, you know, yada, yada. Uh, but it, I think it says a lot about where MLS places their priority uh, at, at this time, that they're willing to, you know, diminish and weaken a team in their their actual competition for what what is essentially yeah. a, a marketing ploy, a marketing gimmick uh, to you know pre- increase the the popularity of the league and all that. So um, it is a little bit curious, but you know I'm not going to get all all bent out of shape over it like a lot of people were. Uh, fascinating times coming in MLS as teams get ready to jockey for position to sign new players and, and clear out some of their roster uh, spots. In fact, uh, heard the tim- some of the Timbers were told they were gone in the locker room after the game, celebrating a title. Very strange situation. We will talk about that in the near future. Um, I'm assuming Andy will, will join us to do some of that. Uh, appreciate the time today, Andy. Wish we had more. Uh, Got to move on. Bigger, Big stories elsewhere. Yeah, no problem, Jason. Thanks for having me on. There goes Andy Edwards. Good stuff from him. Go uh, check out Pro Soccer Talk. We're going to move a, a step aside. We'll come back. We're going to grab Jeff Kasuf, also from NBC Sports and Equalizer Soccer, to talk about the controversy with the women. Canceled friendly in Hawaii. Uh, Megan Rapino injury. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we are back on uh, Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com, joined now by our friend Jeff Kasouf, uh, who writes uh, at, the, at equalizersoccer.com, the equalizer covering women's soccer and also works for NBC Sports in various capacities. Jeff, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? It's, uh, I, I'm good. Um, this is... Uh, this is quite the weekend in the women in the in the women's soccer world, uh, specific, specifically related to the women's national team, and not in a good way. Um, I, I don't know that anybody has missed this news, but everything sort of started. Let's let's just do the timeline because it seems that everything here started with um, with Megan Rapinoe's injury. Uh, that happened Saturday on, on a training field in Hawaii, correct? Uh, Friday on a training Friday night. Field, yeah, Friday. Um, sorry. They announced it Saturday. Yeah. So. Um, I think the key piece that a lot of folks have missed, um, it's been emphasized a bit, but, but it was on grass and, and that was something that, um, sort of adds a different element to this sort of turf debate that, you know, she, she did this injury non-contact on what they're calling very bad grass. There's right. only been a little bit of video and photos to sort of get a glimpse of where they were, but, um, it looked like they were on basically a, practice American football field when that happened. What was, is this grass, uh, I mean, this is, this is grass that has been there, or this is grass over the top of of turf, which I think has been obviously something they've they've been dealing with on this mm-hmm. tour. It, was it was this a legitimate grass field the way that we think of any grass field, or was this a temporary solution for them to train on? No, it was. I mean, it was a regular grass field. Um, there's, you know, it's a little bit vague of what exactly happened. I, I don't know that. Um, whether it was not wanting to share the details or just sort of one of those freak incidents. But, um, you know, Jill Ellis talking to media about um, some sort of a plate on the side of the field, um, you know, whether that's a drainage system sewer or something to that, you know, some sort of a, a metal or plastic plate that was on the side of this grass field that um, played a role in this injury. Um, you know, that, that seems to be um, something that, that played a role from, you know, according to U.S. coach Jill Ellis. Mm-hmm. Now, so Megan Rapinoe is injured on Friday. They announced that injury on Saturday, and everything seemed to snowball pretty quickly from there. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I don't know that these things are necessarily related to each other. Rapinoe getting injured, and then the the, the team deciding uh, that they were they they, they weren't going to play, uh, and ultimately coming to that decision. Uh, we don't know exactly mm-hmm. what how those conversations went, but they gave us some some indication in the Players Tribune piece. Uh, they're thinking here, and and and, and honestly, um, is this a function? Is this a function of U.S. soccer being a little, and I hate to use this word, but I think that greed is, is, is an easy way to define sort of how this victory tour has played out. Is this a, mm-hmm. a function of just, you know, uh, let's make as much money as possible? Well, I think it's absolutely a factor. I mean, look, this victory tour is, um, it is a celebration, but it's also a significant financial stake. Um, you know, these players obviously, getting bonuses for winning the, you know, the world cup, um, part of that, you know, some of that revenue coming from these games, um, you know, it's a way to celebrate them and winning it. Sure. But it's also, I mean, these, these victory tours, I think people, um, maybe overlook that these things are, uh, this is maybe speaks to the pressure of this program and this team, but I mean, these things are written into contracts years in advance of, if, you know, if the team wins, it gets X number of games. If they don't win the World Cup or the Olympics, uh, they get fewer number of games and, and the team takes X number of money from it, from each game, um, off ticket sales. So, I mean, these are all built in, 
um, the, the big revenue streams. Um, yeah. I was told that about 15,000, I think the U.S. player wrote this afterwards, about 15,000 fans were expected in Hawaii, which is actually pretty low um, for the rest of this tour and for what they've been drawing lately. But you do some really rough math, um, and revenue is obviously not um, you know, the end number on anything, but you do some rough math and you call an average ticket $30, $40, and, and $15,000, and you're looking at about half a million dollars yeah. right there that needs to be refunded just on this Hawaii trip and all the other expenses surrounding it, um, traveling out there. U.S. soccer is actually helping to pay for Trinidad and Tobago's expenses while they're in Hawaii and San Antonio. There's a lot of money involved in this game and in this tour. You know, I'm reading, I'm just looking at the Players' Tribune item. I have that up in front of me now, uh, and it references the inspection process. And typically, you know, you would imagine that, uh, with these um, highly tuned athletes, the best women's soccer team in the world, the the value that they bring to the U.S. soccer program, and certainly when they go back to their clubs, and 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 just how important their bodies are, that that the federation would do their due diligence and go out to the field and, and check things out and say, hey, you know what, this probably isn't good for us. Maybe we shouldn't schedule a game for Aloha Stadium at all. That apparently did not happen, and and the 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 team themselves went out and saw the field, said something to U.S. Soccer, and eventually the decision was to cancel the game. Now, again, whether that's pressure from the team saying we're not playing and putting U.S. Mm-hmm. Soccer in a position that they have to cancel the game or not is maybe immaterial, but but does speak to the motivations here. What what do you make of the fact that U.S. Soccer apparently did not inspect this field appropriately ahead of scheduling the game in the first place? Yeah, I spoke with U.S. Soccer yesterday on Sunday. Um, you know, they confirmed that they did not in-person look at the field um, before booking this game, if you want to call it booking, scheduling it. Um, so, you know, I think it's pretty amazing. I mean, their justification being that the NFL uses it, that it's, it's you know, a regularly used and regularly inspected field for other sports. Um, you know, I think, I guess, you know, you and I talking about this, if we were sitting here and, you know, they announced Hawaii and we sit here and say, I think you and I could reasonably say, Okay, yeah, that's a professional stadium where professional, you know, high-level sports are used. But from a U.S. soccer perspective of needing to host the event, yeah, not going out there and looking at it and making sure logistically on-site beforehand, before booking this, is is pretty amazing. Um, You know, the fact that the NFL uses it is fine, but I think that, you know, to not be out there in person um, just logistically is pretty incredible that it wasn't inspected uh, ahead of time. So, I mean, obviously, this is incredibly embarrassing for U.S. soccer. Um, I, I think that, you know, more than anything else that has happened in this turf debate, and I think the players are kind of making clear that it's beyond just turf, but more than anything else that has happened, um, this might be the most important of the things, more than, you know, the, the attempted legal action in Canada or anything. I mean, this is actually taking a stand where I think that um, – this is probably a bigger bargaining chip when it comes to player power, maybe is not the word, but certainly player needs and, and player demand um, in, in the next you know, upcoming negotiations um, of what players are going to get now that this team has really exploded. You know, and, and you, have, you and I have talked about this over the course of the last couple of years when you come on this show, Jeff, that there is... Uh, you know, there there is an interesting bubble that happens with the U.S. women's national team. I mean, these are the uh, some of the best players in the world, and and obviously winning a a World Cup uh, is vindication on that front. But they are 
they they have be, some of them and 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 obviously um you know with the club game sort of growing but not really having any power whatsoever that's that's an element in the fact that this victory tour, victory tour is so long and so drawn out and and so so widely spread out because if the clubs had any say at all these women might or were paying a significant portion of their salaries these women probably wouldn't be on this tour quite as long all of this stuff kind of it makes it even more insular, does it not? I mean, even if this is a bargaining chip, and even if it's right for the U.S. women to say to U.S. soccer, we deserve equal treatment, and I don't know what you're doing here, mm-hmm. why are you putting on this, 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 uh, us on this field? It does only, uh, only consolidate power in, uh, in this specific group of players, does it not? Well, I, I think that's a totally fair point to make, for sure. I mean, you know, there's bigger issues, you know, this is one team, right? But I think that this team now more than ever, and certainly has in the past, is sort of uh, looked at as women's soccer's sort of bargaining chip. Um, this is, you know, by far the team with the most power in the world. Uh, this is a program that um, has more, you know, even though the, there are these issues, more money and more attention dedicated to it than most any other women's program in the world. So um, while it is about, you know, to some degree, these players individually and this team individually, um, you know, they, they, I think that they wrote this a bit in that essay that they wrote and, and in speaking about this, that, you know, they see this as a, a women's soccer problem. I mean, I think there's yeah, a really interesting juxtaposition that you look at the opponents for this game or what would have been this game and, and for Thursday in San Antonio was Trinidad and Tobago, who, um, you know, literally you talk to them they train on whatever parcel of grass they can find. They get no support from their federation. Um, last year, going into qualifying for the World Cup, this was highly publicized. I mean, they were training on pitches that were just waterlogged. They were, you know, th- there was standing water on the fields they were training on. So um, these issues are, this is sort of the top end of what's going on with women's soccer across the globe. Um, and I think that, you know, if, Will a top-down approach work? I don't know. I don't think that this influences TNT's federation to go say we need to treat our women better. But I think maybe these U.S. players see, um, you know, they finally have this platform that's bigger than ever that they need to do this for the sport in general. Uh, our, our friend Bo Dura is on Twitter right now, jo- uh, Jeff, asking some questions. He just tagged you. He okay. says, uh, one question, does the women's national team have more clout than the NFLPA? What if, would NFL players be able to scrub the Pro Bowl? Because this is the, the, you said, as you said, the NFL uses Aloha Stadium. That's where the Pro Bowl has been played. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't see a Pro Bowl getting scrapped, no. Um, I mean, whether it has more power, um, I could answer that from an NFL perspective. But, sure. um, you know, I, I couldn't see the Pro Bowl getting scrapped, so maybe that is an answer in itself. Yeah. But, um, you know, this is a friendly game, 15,000 tickets. Um, I think... As best I can tell, it's an unprecedented scenario that it would be canceled some, I mean, what was it, you know, 24 hours or less, um, or, you know, 18 hours before the game like that. But, um, you know, I, I think it's probably a little bit different in the sense that, um, not that the Pro Bowl means anything either, but um, I think it was just a little bit bigger of an event than a friendly against against TNT. But, um, you know, speaking to it, I, I can't, you know, I have no idea what the background on this is, and I think, you know, It'd be interesting if somebody um, took a look into it. But a big reason that the U.S. was there, I mean, yes, making history, being in Hawaii, whatever, um, there was, you know, Fox is making, this is a Fox weekend event about 
football, basketball, soccer, and it's all this Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day celebration. I mean, that was a major factor in why the U.S. is there. They didn't necessarily just say, let's go to Hawaii. So um, the fallout there, I think, is pretty interesting from a, um, a financial perspective and even maybe a relationships perspective. I mean, that's something that um, probably somebody has not made, just given employers that should explore. But, uh, you know, that that is uh, a big factor. I don't think that's been discussed either because that's, you know, you can guess that canning a game 18 hours ahead of time for live television is not uh, ideal in the least. No, absolutely not. But by the way, today is actually, you know, today is, is Pearl Harbor Day. Right. As you said, it was leading up to, or, you know, the, the weekends uh, uh, commemorating that day. Um, Hawaii, obviously, the location for Pearl Harbor. Um, so, you know, again, the, 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 the fallout remains to be seen and whether or not there's going to be some significant uh, repercussions to this, to this move, to the pressure that U.S. soccer has now faced. And look, the women have certainly been on the, the wrong end of, of treatment. And I, I don't think anybody's going to argue that they've, um, that, that things are equal, um, in, in the way that these two programs are, are run. But, U.S. soccer is guilty of grabbing the money in places that don't have appropriate uh, field conditions for both of these yeah. teams. And, and and speaking of, the U.S. women's next game is scheduled for San Antonio. I'm guessing that game's at the Alamo Dome. I'm guessing they're going to be playing on grass over turf. Why? Yeah, I think it's, just, it's straight turf for Alamo Dome. Um, they're not even going to yeah, do yeah. grass for the women? So they did grass for the men, right. but they're not. And and that was a bad serve. I mean, people will tell you, laying sod over turf is actually almost as bad or not worse than just turf itself. So the women don't even right. get that consideration. If you want to consider it, if you want to label it a consideration, they're just going to be playing on the on the turf in the Alamo Dome, which I'm guessing is probably not the of the highest quality. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, the, the grass over the turf, I think, as you said, is, is probably in some cases worse. I mean, we've seen so many of those ridiculous setups with uh, these friendlies for the men's side in, the, in these summer, you know, exhibition tournaments. But, um, the, you know, there's a little bit of, um, I don't know if irony is the word, but, I mean, it, it's concerning for sure that, you know, the Alamo Dome is also the site of, and I believe they have new turf since, um, but the Alamo Dome is the site of Kaya Simon, the Australian, who tore her ACL on a non-contact injury uh, when Australia visited the U.S. in the Alamo Dome uh, just over two years ago at this point. And and that's the same site. Um, again, I believe that turf replaced with newer turf now, but um, the same site where the very start of um, what's been two years of, you know, a good amount of injuries for Alex Morgan, um, that's where she sprained the ankle that led to the, uh, the seven months off because that, you know, that turned into a, a stress reaction. So, um, the Alamo Dome, you know, that these things aren't related to tomorrow or to Thursday, but, um, you know, just the fact that they're back there and there's some, some actual injury history there, um, is very interesting. So, uh, yeah, eight of those 10 games on the victory tour on turf. Um, again, I think this is more than turf when you look at Rapino being on grass and that's sort of helping spark it. But, you know, even from a turf perspective, there's been some, and at Loha, obviously, an example. I think Chattanooga, another example. Sorry to the fine folks of Chattanooga. There's been some really crappy choices in which turf they even choose. Um, you know, some really big eyesores, um, Chattanooga being one of them for sure, with football lines visible and, um, you know, with wherever they are. It wasn't specified, but Rapino's actually one who wrote on the Players' Tribune a couple months ago that, Somewhere along this victory tour on turf, they were picking up bolts out of the turf. Uh, she didn't specify which one. So, um, very ironic that this victory tour has been on turf after such a fight 
to not be on it for the World Cup that they won and are celebrating. Yeah, it's um, obviously a very tricky situation here um, after the cancellation in in uh, in Hawaii, and now we'll see what happens. Uh, with this game in, in San Antonio. Again, the practical concern, something I, I meant to get to. Let's just very quickly hit it, Jeff, before I let you go. Megan Rapino's injury. What's the, is there any prognosis right now and what have uh, similar injuries cost players in terms of time? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the timing to be blunt is, is really tight, maybe beyond tight. Are you talking about, um, the day they announced the ACL injury eight months to a day that, uh, opening ceremony for the, for the Olympics? Um, eight months, as we all know, just in general terms, is not a lot of time, maybe not enough time to get back from ACL. Um, I think if you look at a directly comparable situation, Diana Matheson, uh, for Canada tore her ACL last October, um, an, an extra month earlier, um, and, and she, uh, you know, they, Canada kept her on the World Cup roster. She, she didn't play, but until, the, the knockout stage and it was extremely limited and it was probably earlier than it you know needed to be or should have been. So um, I know that Rapino is a fighter and everybody has mentioned that and I certainly wish her the best of luck in recovery um, and hope to see her in Rio. But I think that, you know, very obviously the, the timeline is probably not on her side mm. to, to get there, unfortunately. So what does that mean for, uh, for Jill Ellis in terms of replacements? Well, I mean, a wide midfielder for sure. You know, I think that someone who is, is, probably was going to be a given to go into it after the year she's had, but um, it is probably even more so now. You look at Crystal Dunn, who's um, certainly more of a forward, but I think in that U.S. setup, the way they play, and assuming they stick into that system and formation, um, could be one of those sort of high-wide attacking players um, that, that Rapino would be um, either on the right or the left for, for Dunn. So I think that's probably, um, in terms of the starting lineup for sure, um, a natural shoe in there. Um, to put Dunn in there, let her run at players wide, and let her push um, probably just as high as Rapino, you know, with maybe even a little bit more defending capability being, you know, done, um, being having that. Jeff Kasu from EqualizerSoccer.com, where you can read all about the uh, the, the story this weekend, uh, Megan Rapino's injury, the cancellation of that friendly of the victory tour in uh, in Hawaii and uh, whatever else comes next. Jeff will be on top of it. Uh, also follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Kasuf and. Uh, Jeff, appreciate the time. Um, we'll consider we'll continue to watch this and, and see what the fallout may be, and and whether or not U.S. soccer is going to have to make some outward public gestures to kind of address some of these uh, again the the equal treatment issues for the women. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. There goes Jeff Kasuf. Good stuff from him. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. Talk to you Monday edition. Plenty to talk about. So many big stories. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, here we go. Soccer Morning. The phone lines are open. Eight, uh, sorry, 646-832-3909 is the number. We're talking MLS Cup Final. Portland Timbers. I don't know how many Timbers fans are up at 7 o'clock in the morning and ready to call Soccer Morning to crow about their team winning an MLS Cup title. But please, if you are, dial us up. 646-832-3909. 
Maybe you want to talk about this, uh, this story with the U.S. women's national team. Megan Rapinoe's injury, cancellation of a game, the response, the, the Players' Tribune piece by these women. I'm not sure who, who wrote it specifically. I don't think it matters. It's obviously a collective statement by these women. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but just to give you a sense of, of what it says. Starts, the victory tour was set up to celebrate winning a tournament, but it was also set up to celebrate being the best in the world. And, we say, and when we say, quote, being the best in the world, unquote, we don't mean our team. We mean our fans. So they lead into this very specifically with, let's identify our fans. This is about you as a fan, and we're sorry that we had to cancel this game, but look, this is our livelihoods. This is, uh, this is our, our bodies which we use to conduct our careers without a healthy knee, in the case of Megan Rapinoe, without healthy bodies, they can't go and do what they need to do. It wasn't bad. It wasn't until we got to Aloha Stadium the next day, the day before the match against Trinidad and Tobago, that we finally saw for the first time how bad the stadium's field truly was. The conditions were such that our coach shortened practice to a brief 30-minute training session so we wouldn't risk injury before the game. There were sharp rocks ingrained all over the field. They were everywhere. The artificial turf was actually pulling up out of the ground, and the turf itself was both, was both low-grade and aging. This was a playing surface that looked like it hadn't been replaced in years. Let's go to Richard in Philly. Hey, Richard. Hey, Jason. How you doing? Doing well, sir. What's on your mind? Uh, MLS Cup TV ratings. Okay. We're doing this? We're doing this? All right, let's do this. Well, no. Okay. I, well, I know they're going to be low, and that's sure. fine. Well, that's not fine, but <clears throat> what gets me is like it, it's going to be – we all know the reason why. It's because it's a lot of it, a lot of MLS fans saying, well, I'm not going to watch MLS Cup. My team's not in it, so I'm not going to watch it. Or I don't like this team, so I'm not going to watch it. And it, this is continuously through all MLS, MLS ratings. It, it's always MLS fans have always been saying, and you kind of know this, they said this, if their team's not in it, they don't want to watch a national TV game. Sure. And then when the national TV rankings come out, they go, well, why is, there, why is no one watching? It's because you're not watching. You're the reason why they're not getting Okay, going. so, so you, Richard, you want to call out those, those locally focused MLS fans who don't watch the playoffs and don't watch the final. I, okay, sure. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people will point first to the fact that MLS scheduled this game up against, or MLS and their broadcast partner ESPN scheduled this game up against the NFL, and that's never a good idea. Yeah, and I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm flipping back and forth because the Eagles are playing the Patriots at the same time. So I'm, fl- I'm guilty of it flipping back and forth going, God, okay, what's going on? The Eagles are going to the MLS Cup. I, I, but there's a lot of fans, I know people on Twitter, union fans are saying, well, I don't like Portland, I hate the fans, so I'm going to watch the Eagles instead. Or, like, I, but that's not, that's normal for me. Like, a lot, I've seen a lot of teams, when I was on, on social media, a lot of teams from a lot, from a team, fans from a lot of teams saying, well, I don't like this team, I'm not going to watch it, or, my team was eliminated earlier, so I'm not going to watch it. And it, we get this all the time. And then you wonder, well, why is no one watching the national television games? Yuck. That's why. Yeah. Okay. And it annoys me. Then the people go, what's the magic bullet? Is it scheduling? Is it kickoff? No. It's these, trying to get these national TV, national, these local, t- local fans to understand that this gate, this is a, everyone has to be connected. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I know they don't like it, but everyone has to be connected. Okay. All watch right. out. All watch. Right. If Dallas and say we also like on on ESPN, watch that. Okay, so that way so, you okay. you TV. Richard, let me just talk through this, okay? Because I spent a lot of last week on this show and even more so on SiriusXM, railing against the notion of team soccer. Hashtag team soccer. Kumbaya, we're all in this together. 
Let's all be soccer fans together in a big group and hey, let's go fight the good fight for soccer. I, I'm not a fan of that attitude, generally speaking. I, I'm ready to move on from that. But what you're advocating is that MLS fans need to think in that way and need to turn their televisions to MLS Cup to benefit soccer, to benefit MLS, so that the ratings go up and then the money comes in and then our league gets better. Yes? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's, the, it's, it's a fine thing to propose. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get mad at anybody who doesn't flip by MLS Cup because their team's out because that's not how sports work. If if MLS if MLS was putting on the t- and over time maybe this happens, but if MLS was putting on an event that grabbed people that was truly important uh, or had a feeling of importance that it was massively you know if if if, it, if they could do that, then people would watch. But the problem is that you know we already have the Super Bowl. And MLS is not going to be the Premier League, and it's difficult for them to sell this product in this marketplace. I, I don't know that I'm really like mad at anybody about it, Richard. Why would I be mad at somebody? And I, and I kind of agree with your statement on that, but at the same time, it's, it's I always get mad when I see the same people who on kickoff on the day of the game saying, "Well, I'm not watching it because my team's not in it," and then when the Raiders come out, "Well, why is no one watching it?" Well, <laughs> explain why. I see. I see. Yeah, you don't don't complain about the ratings if you're a soccer fan who didn't watch. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Now, although you know, I, you know what most people's attitude is, Richard. There most people are like, "Well, I don't count. I'm not a I'm not a ratings family or what. I don't even know how it works anymore. How do ratings work now, Trevor? Can you get? I, us- I don't know, <laughs> Richard. I got to move on. Appreciate the call, man. Right, there you go. So Richard and Philly, uh, and look, that that's a decent thing to gripe about. Don't bi- don't bitch about the ratings if you're not watching the game because you have the opportunity to watch the game. You could help the ratings. Washington in New York, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, Jason? How's it going, buddy? It's going well, man. Uh, I did watch the game, and you know I'm NYCFC, and we weren't in the final. I did watch the game. It was a good game, and I I, I agree uh, with your last caller about you know uh, I, I unfortunately disagree with you whenever you harp again uh, against uh, team soccer or what you call hashtags team soccer. I do think that we should all support each other at this time and, and that the, the MLS Cup ratings is one of the reasons why because um, one of the reasons it's it, you, you called upon the Super Bowl. Um, I watch the Super Bowl even though I know I'm not an NFL football fan because the Super Bowl has become cultural. It's become, it's an event and MLS Cup while it's nowhere near the Super Bowl should strive to be something like that where it becomes an event. Yeah. Um, wh- one of the reasons that I called was uh, the um, the comments that Don Garber made, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, two things. One was the expansion in the All-Star. I'll start with the All-Star game. Yeah. Uh, with this, with this rule about, um, if you're, if you're, if you're, if your player's not playing in the All-Star game, he can't play. That just seems really petty to me. It just seems really petty. I mean, the the All Star Game. I understand why. Um, I understand why he did it. He wants people to release their players to play in the All Star Game, right? Uh, I get that. But the only way you can do that, okay, is by making the All Star Game mean something. And unfortunately, the only way you can do that is by switching the format back to East versus West, and maybe making it mean something the way the baseball does. Uh, their All Star Game, no, um, do whoever wins the All Star Game gets to host the final, right? No, don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. That that was the dumbest Why? thing in baseball. I hate that rule because the All Star Game is an exhibition. Because half those players know their team's not going to be in the playoffs. They got nothing to play for. Why are they going to put in the effort so that? You know, the Galaxy can host the, 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 the championship game. That doesn't, 
Uh, no. The, the well, this is one of those things where you and I are going to have to agree to disagree like hashtag team soccer. Okay, I just can't. I, I, think, I, do think, I do think it should mean something. I think if you, if you want them to take it seriously, there should be some type of incentive for it, and that's the only way that I can find to put incentive on the All-Star game. Well, um, okay. The other uh, thing you mentioned, the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. There's a, there's, a, there's a more cynical way, and, and I think players do get, get bonuses for being named, and maybe the, they, maybe the, the players' union has uh, some leverage here and can uh, can avoid the the, can, the participation element, but maybe you throw that on top. If you're MLS, you already have written into the the CBA bonuses for players making the All Star game or making the roster. Maybe you say if yeah, you if you play, that's so a, what? That's incentive for the players, right? And yeah, I get why, that. That's why? incentive for the players. I'm talking about for the fans. We're talking about for the people who matter. I mean, not that the players don't matter, but for the fans, we 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 want to put our heart in the All Star game, and the, the only way that right now we put the heart in the All our game is when we we think well, MLS you know is is showing that they they have what it takes to beat foreign teams. And for a minute that was that was cool, right? Now I'm kind of getting over it, and I would want it to be go back to East versus West. Part of me does anyway. Yeah, that'd be, it, it would be fun. I'm I'm down for East versus West. I'm down for camp, camp scrapping the All Star game, but I know that's not going to happen. So right. this rule, if they're, I mean, essentially what they're saying is. You know, this, this is, while we understand that not everybody wants to play in this and it's a distraction from the rest of the season, it's important to the league, it's got marketing value for us, and we want our best players and the guys who are identified as best performance in the first half of the season to play. And you're mm-hmm. going to get punished. I, I do think it seems petty, but it's, ultimately I'm not going to get too worked up about it. Right, right, right. The other thing you talked about was expansion, and I wanted to get your take on it. Um, that they said the new number is twenty-eight, right? We had twenty-four for what, like six months? It almost seems like a blink of an eye. We had twenty-four, yeah. but anyway. So the new number is twenty-eight. My question is that when? So is that it? Does it stop there, or is six months from now the next All Star game break? Well, you know, we had another meeting, and now we're going to go to thirty-two. Well, they I have mean, to. When, ad- when does it stop? Well, they have to identify. Okay, so. So right now we're at 20, and the teams we're adding are Atlanta for sure, Minnesota for sure, LAFC for for sure, I guess, and Miami, right? And so Miami for question mark. Well, okay, <laughs> uh, you know, they, 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 I give Beckham's group credit for pulling this whole thing that nobody knew was coming uh, together in, in a short time frame. Overtown, I don't know. Town, I think it's called. Yeah, Overtown. Where uh, I don't, I don't. Where, where they're going to make the stadium? I don't know if it, all the di- all eyes are dotted and T's are crossed, and I don't think there's still. I mean, people down there, Phil Shane, and people will say there's still issues with parking and everything else, but they seem to at least be moving in a good direction so let's just take miami is done now you got okay you're saying we're adding four more spots we're going to get to 28 who are sacramento okay again that that okay. seems like ready to go everybody's saying san antonio. everybody's saying san antonio but i've yet to see whether san antonio has has, has their crap together washington i mean there, there's, there's I don't know about. I, I know the stadium. I know the, the only thing I've, I've read about has been the stadium. They have a great stadium, although it's not like it's a not downtown big enough. location. They, they have to expand stadium. it. They, they have to expand that stadium to get to MLS levels, and, and maybe they Which will. Which they planned for. They have the pillars there and everything. I don't, I, I don't know. I was I was reading this article just the other day about them. They actually made it with. A, I think it's like a twenty thousand twenty thousand seat capacity, but they they left the the, the 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 pillars there so they can expand or something like that. No, but, no. I, yeah, I think that's all. 
all that was all in the original plan. The question I have is whether or not the transition of ownership to the Spurs group and, and all of these things are, that will come together quickly enough for them to write a $120 million check or whatever MLS is going to ask for them to get mm-hmm. into the league as one of the top, one of the next four. But, okay, so Sacramento's 100% done, right? I mean, Sacramento's a, right. a, a, they got everything ready. I would say San Antonio, let's put them on 60% or 70, 70%, okay? So that, 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 that's pretty good and they're getting closer. Find me two more. Charlotte? Canada. Canada. Where in Canada? I say go to Canada. Where? I, you know, that, that's a good question. But I say for those two teams, I think the next mission is to go more, more to Canada. What do we have in Canada? We got, uh, I'm sorry, the, Toronto, Vancouver. Montreal. Um, uh, Montreal, three, right? Yeah. So that, I, I say two more in Canada. Well, those, those, are, those are your three legitimate big markets in Canada. There's... There's, uh, there's a cut here. Let, let me just, let me just write, let me just type this into Google. Uh, and I apologize to any of our Canadian, uh, listeners for not knowing the biggest cities in Canada <laughs> after those, those three. Toronto. Isn't Edmonton is pretty big and, uh. Calgary, which is way Calgary, north. Calgary, and they, they, they have, Calgary has, um, Calgary has had soccer in the past, but does, I don't believe they have top level or, or professional soccer of real note at the moment, because Edmonton does have an NASL team. It goes Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, Ottawa, which has an NASL team. Edmonton has an NASL team. Uh, Mississauga, which is in the, in the, I believe in the Toronto area. There's a bunch, and then Vancouver's actually ninth. And, and this is, this might not be, this might not be Metro that I'm looking at here. So I'll have to look at mm-hmm. the, the Metro, uh, Metropolitan populations. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, whatever. Regardless. I guess there's, I guess there's some, some possibilities in Canada. I just think that MLS is very focused on their TV product in the United States right now, Washington. And that's part of the reason right. to go, the, the, to go to this right. level. And, and, and I don't know how much San Antonio adds. I don't know how much Sacramento adds. I think that the next place they're going to want to go after those two cities, which again, Sacramento's got everything done. San Antonio's getting close to everything done. They're going to want to go with a bigger town, and and maybe it's St. Louis, but they don't have a they don't have a, a, an investment group right now They're ready to to, so, to go ahead. So, Jason, my original question was, okay, so are we stopping there? And I hope the answer is yes, because the the truth is, with the I think I think one of the reasons why they want to expand so much is one is you got to strike while the iron's hot, right? And that's cool, yeah. I understand yeah. that. But other, I think they want to be. I, I hope this is one of the reasons is they want to be like one of the big four, you know, baseball, basketball, football, and and hockey. And if you look at those three, the, those four, um, all of them have somewhere around thirty teams. Um, and I'm I'm hoping that that was the goal and that they did choose to stop at twenty eight because if you go past twenty eight or thirty, I think. Now you're getting ridiculous, and you and you're you're falling into the the old NASL trap where you strike while the iron's hot because the money's there for now, but in the long run, that's how you end up folding. Right. So well, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Like that the, it can't just that. be willy nilly throwing darts at the board. Oh, there's a group here right. that wants to put a team right. together, and I think this is why that they've been careful with with Sacramento. I mean, they could have they could have given they could have gone ahead and given Sacramento the go ahead a couple of years ago. I mean, they they could have. Put Sacramento ahead of Atlanta, ahead of Minnesota, ahead of Miami, ahead of, uh, of of these places. LAFC certainly, even though that's sort of a replacement for Chivas, and they didn't. And I think the reason that they didn't is because they wanted to they wanted to get the big market Atlanta side. They wanted to get Midwest covered a little bit more with Minnesota, and they're being very strategic. And really, what does Sac? And I, I know San Jose may have something to say about this as well in terms of the territory. But what does Sacramento Sacramento bring you? I think uh, Sacramento is maybe the twentieth largest uh, market in the con- t- the twentieth 
largest TV market in the country or something in that area. And that's, that's good. That's within the range, but it's not, it's not first on their list of priorities. And, and, and that's unfair to Sacramento in a lot of ways because it's supposed to be about your, uh, your, your soccer interest and the enthusiasm in the town, but they are looking at this in a strategic fashion. I, again, I'm not defending it. It's just the way things are going. I hear you, Always good talking, man. I got to get going. Take care, bro. Thanks, uh, Washington. That's a good place for us to wrap up. By the way, I was right. Sacramento is the 20th, uh, 20th TV market in the country. New York, LA, Chicago, Philly, Dallas, San Francisco, uh, San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose included in that, those, that, uh, that market. Boston, Atlanta, Washington, Houston, Detroit, Phoenix, which is the only one, uh, Detroit and Phoenix, neither one of those towns have an MLS team. Um, I think Detroit may be, on the radar for the 28, but who knows how close. Phoenix, don't think there's anything, any movement at all there. Tampa, uh, not, no MLS team there. We've already been there once. I'm not sure they're, they're interested in going back. Seattle, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Miami, Cleveland, which I don't think is on the radar at all. Orlando, Sacramento at number 20. St. Louis is number 21. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens here. Uh, you know, Sacramento will have to get a little bit bigger than St. Louis, but I think St. Louis in, in central location, the potential for the rivalries with Kansas City and Chicago uh, make it attractive. Just I don't see any movement there yet. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Thanks again for listening today on a Monday. Big, uh, big Monday, obviously, with the MLS Cup Championship and all the, the, the news out of the women's national team. We didn't talk any Premier League. We'll do some European stuff, I'm sure, through the week. Thanks to our guest, Andy Edwards from Pro Soccer Talk. Jeff Kasuf. Go follow them on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. See you then. Bye. Did my invitations disappear?